Um, for, for those of you that missed the introduction, I'm Stephen Cairns, Associate Curator of Artists Film at ICA. I'm joined by Danny Gall. Um, we're breaking this evening's screening into two, so we're going to talk for sort of ten minutes now and then watch the second film. Uh, Danny, welcome to ICA. Uh, firstly, um, so the, the film we just watched, Nacht and Nabel, Night and Fog, contains quite a lot, although there's very little dialogue and uh, the story kind of isn't completely unfolded. I wondered if you could uh, just talk a little bit about where the the idea for that, that film came from. Yeah, hello. Um, the the fact or the the story that um, Ashman's ashes were scattered into the Mediterranean Sea uh, at, at dawn by police is something that I knew already as a child. Or I think a lot of people in Israel know that uh, just as a fact, and um, somehow it always haunted me as a story. It's it's a as a child, it always sounded very scary in in a way. This this picture, and one point I started to um, get into it and research what what was going on there, because there's so much uh, information and and uh, literature and, and and films about about the um, the trial itself. And then there's uh, a very quick uh, action of um, of um, the, the punishment, the, the capital punishment, uh, and everything was done very quickly. And then there was a, an announcement to the press that he was uh, hanged and scattered uh, to the sea. And, um, and so, so I was uh, really curious about what really happened in this night that uh, I knew that was very secretive. And uh, I was collecting um, whatever I could find in literature and archives of newspapers, and there was not 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 much, um, except for this fact that I knew already. And then I came across um, Michael Goldman, who, as police officer, was in charge of this night, and he told me his his story in general, um, and the story of the of the night in more details. Um, yeah, and then I, I, I decided that it should become a film that reconstructs this, this undocumented event. Mm -hmm. So uh, to talk a bit about the process you went through in finding Goldman, because I can't imagine it being a very straightforward process of actually um, identifying someone that was involved uh, in the event and then getting him to kind of open up to you and talk to you about all those details that you reenact in the film? Uh, I mean, al although he's, uh, he's in his mid-80s, he's still very active, and he uh, was an active person in the Holocaust Memorial in Jerusalem. So um, through researching and reading, I came across this name, and then I asked them, and then they finally managed to give him his telephone number, and uh, I approached him pretty directly. Mm -hmm. Um, what was interesting is that uh, I managed to make an appointment with him for an interview and um, a night before I came to visit him I was uh, watching the news on television in Israel and uh, I, s I saw him being interviewed there um, in Poland um, and it was very strange uh, the next day after we 
we spoke, he said, um, I just came back from Poland from a, a 50 years memorial ceremony for the, uh, um, I guess it was a closing of Auschwitz camp. Um, they was invited by the Israeli government. He said, I didn't sleep the whole night. I usually don't like to give interviews, but this visit, uh, but, but standing in Auschwitz in minus 20 degrees really um, kind of opened me up. So it was pretty amazing coincidence for me that because he really, I mean, he told me much more than you see in the film. It was like a two and a half hours conversation, and he told me his story uh, throughout the Holocaust as being a, a young, uh, like a teenager, and what he went through, and um, until until this night. And and how did you go about choosing the the content for the film and? Uh, what facts did you feel were important to include? And was there anything that wasn't included in the film? Maybe also what bits were elaborated on and what bits you kind of used your artistic license to kind of build everything together as one whole film? I don't have a license. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I, I was really interested in, in the atmosphere of, of this night. Um, I, I I read as much as I could or understood from him as much as I could about the event and uh, um, and I wanted to show it as a, a quite a simple official proce police procedure. Um, they were given orders what to do uh, from the from the hanging of the body until the end of the scattering the ashes. And so as I, I, what I was trying to, what I'm trying to say is that um, through this quite um, banal uh, action, the procedure, a police procedure, that most of the time there's nothing to do. There's like waiting and then driving and then sitting in a boat and waiting again. Um, what what happened then? What 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 happened when there was nothing going on? What was the atmosphere in this? This was I was trying to bring out. And um, when I when he told me the story, when we got to this part, I was trying to uh, kind of extract this. Um, like, what what were you feeling? What what were you talking about? And I I didn't get much. Um, I think it's also a generational thing that generation of people who didn't uh, speak about their feelings uh, which something that is also very very strong in this generation I mean probably everywhere but also through among uh, holocaust survivors and uh, so this is what was interesting for me to, to bring out and this uh, all this silence uh, what I was trying to bring out out from the screen is this uncomfortable feeling like like when people standing in for a long time I don't know with strangers in the elevator as no one is talking to each other this kind of like heavy feeling of s being in a small room together with people that you are really uncomfortable and you're you're not talking about anything um how how uh how responsible did you feel in retelling this story as accurately as possible was it important to you that it was completely accurate or were you happy for people to be left with some ambiguities 
Yeah, I mean, I, I know only the ambiguities. I mean, mm -hmm. there's no really accurate stories. Where as, as, uh, the more I went into it, the more I saw that there are more versions to a lot of details, mm -hmm. like where the furnace came from, uh, like uh, like where where the boat came from. There are about three versions to each of these one of the stories. Um, I'm not coming as like an authority of someone who knows the story better. I mean, maybe I read more because I was curious, but it's it's mu much more about like the way I underst understood the story, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or like from what I understood then to what came out in the film is like there's a gap, and this gap is in a way my kind of understanding of of what was going on there. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask a question that's maybe a bit more of a technical question, and it's about the sound in the film, because the sound is very important in the film, um, filling those gaps where there isn't much happening. I wondered if you could talk a bit about the sound. Well, it's... Uh, I mean, the medium of sound is something that is very important for, uh, for me as an artist. I work a lot with it, and you can see it also in the next film, which is uh, about something completely different. And... Um, so I work a lot with it, and I always look at at um, filmmaking of video making as like a sound and visual, and to give them the same amount of uh, attention. And um, so, because there is no uh, there's no dialogue here, mm -hmm. all those sounds, this filling the room, all those body sounds, all those all those like clinging, cracking were very, very important and emphasized. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, or even we gave... Like, I think that the only speaking character in the in the film is the is the milk jug. It is making a lot of, a lot mm -hmm. of noise. This was like... I kind of thought about it as like the... Aish, the character of, of Eichmann as a, the person in the film because he was actually... Uh -huh. was was inside the jug. Mm-hmm. Um, we're we're going to watch the, the next film, which is a, a two-channel uh, film um, that's been made into a single channel for the screen. But before we do, uh, does anyone have any questions about what we've just watched? There will be an opportunity at the end if anyone wants to pick up on anything. Um, maybe we could just talk a little bit, just as an introduction to the, the next work, because it was um, these two films were made simultaneously, and I don't want to give too much away, but I wondered if you could just say a few things about the the production of those two films. About um, production of and in terms of w why you identified that you wanted to make the piece. I, I mean, being interested in in music and sound and and this kind of music, I, I read about it, and so it's a it's a film about um, Yanko Dumitrescu and Anna Maria Avram were um, Romanian composers. Um, they also performed here in London mm -hmm. more than once. And um, and there was a uh, reading an interview with Janko Dumitrescu, who is uh, in the 60s uh, um, created a movement in Romania of um, of what he calls uh, hyperspectral music mm -hmm. uh, and activity. Uh, was since then their activity as a small group was uh, 
began as underground and illegal because it wasn't allowed to make this kind of music in Romania at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he has a, a very interesting story about a dream that he that he had this, uh, when he was a young soldier in Romania and he had to go to um, change a guarding shift in the middle of nowhere and he fell asleep and he dreamt and I decided to I thought and and, and the, the, the sound in the dream is something that he talks about is uh, very important to his uh, musical career so this um, one half an hour documentary which is a visit to their house in uh, rural Romania um, and uh, and a trip that we did together to a to a, what what is called the village museum, which is um, a park that reconstructs uh, uh, ancient um, life forms, like architectural and and tools and musical mm-hmm. instruments from uh, different times and different places from Romania. Um, uh, which th- so this is a documentary, and next to it is the the dream scene. That's a perfect point. To I mean, I can talk about it later. Yeah, perfect point to watch the film. Thanks. Um, well, we're just going to say a few words about that last film. Um, it's, that film is quite a contrast to the the one that we saw first. Um, although you're you're kind of looking at similar things or similar themes are kind of uh, in there. Uh, with this piece, you've got this idea of translation in some way of ideas that can't be described or annotated in. Uh, musical form being drawn um, then you've also got your interpretation of this dream um, I, I wonder if you had anything to say about that, that idea of uh, translation and interpretation I mean yeah it's something that um, quite interested in um, especially with this transformation of sound to image and image to sound it's something that I'm working a lot with and um, so that's why it is it was challenging to me this kind of like make a film about the musician and and also visualizing the story about about a dream that is um, this is so visual as an image it's like uh, standing inside a rain of glass but but then the audio of it is what was what matters to mm-hmm. to the musician, and now it comes from this very aggressive kind of uh, experience, standing mm-hmm. inside a rain of glass, to to a whole career of uh, of, of music, uh, like this musical career that he has. Mm-hmm. So did did the did he cite that dream as being something that had a kind of profound influence on his musical practice afterwards? Yes, yes, he also says it in the film. I yeah. don't know if it's clear enough, but it's something that he repe- kind of comes back to. It's a very primary experience of this spectral primitive music. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe just quickly uh, to ask you about this idea of revealing the process of filmmaking in some ways. So in one instance we see the the bottles being smashed and that's obviously the the musician kind of remaking this sound that was in his dream and then at the end we have the the falling glass but eventually it is without the sound um i just wondered if uh there was anything there that you felt was important 
in terms of the the, the actual filmmaking process and <coughs> the the audience's awareness of the fact that this has been constructed in that sense. Yeah, what, what happened is when I met him, I met them. I I brought I brought the the vid the unfinished video of the of the soldier in the snow. And he said, "I'll make I'll make you the sound for the for the end for the glass." Mm-hmm. And I thought immediately I have to document it like a performance. Mm-hmm. That's what we did. And then he took it and processed it, uh-huh. and I put it at the end. And then it seemed to be right to separate the sound from the image. Mm-hmm. Um, Was it always your intention to have to? two channels there so to have the actual film that you began making but then also this documentary film was that always your intention or was that something that no it came it came a bit later i i now i like it more where it's the dream scene kind of comes in and goes out kind of like a dream it it pops in and then it goes out and at, at first you don't know what what it means what how is it connected and later it comes again and then Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of like trying to to make it like a dream scene that it's kind of like coming into like coming into your head but then leaving you and you don't exactly know what why and if it's finished or not or, or what, mm-hmm. what, it, what it means and uh, again something that you kind of cover in your work when you're looking at uh, history or the retelling of history and in what way was it important to be documenting this musician and and was that something that came into things this kind of documentation that will eventually become a historical document of that musician's practice was that something that came into things or is that what, what do you mean i mean is it, it is maybe just a product of the the uh, this the situation you were in but the documenting the actual first hand documentation of the musician as a practitioner, was that something that you felt was vitally important, or was that something that was kind of captured in tandem with the uh, the film, the dream sequence? Well, I mean, I I, uh, I made the the dream sequence, or I, I decided to make it, but then I and it's something that repeated, I, I I repeated in my practice before and after, like like the meeting with uh, Michael Goldman and like with other works where mm-hmm. um, I knew that. When I meet the person, it's going to be much more interesting than what I can find in the internet or in any kind of book, and it, because it always brings much more. Mm-hmm. So I decided, okay, I'll, I'll I'll do this scene, and then I'll I'll meet them and see what they have to say and where they live, and 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 then bring in my ideas, like going to this park that shows this rural architecture, and and they talking so much about this um, ancient. A f- form of uh, living uh, ancient culture in Romania, and then showing it in this park and connecting the music that they make. Mm-hmm. At the same time, when the music is being very uh, much connected to today's contemporary music and being performed in different contemporary music festivals, and um, this kind of like uh, line that they make between the two, I found like really interesting. Um, and um, just quickly before I uh, offer the uh, floor for questions, um, the political undertones there and the, the fact that the, their musical practice was Ill- illegal at one point, how important is that to the, the telling of the story? Or is that something that's kind of a bit of background information? 
No, I mean, I, I think it is important. Um, I mean, there's more to tell about it, I would say. Mm -hmm. And and they they told more and it didn't come in. And I don't think it, it kind of should take over. Sure. I mean, it has the risk of taking over the whole meaning of, of what they do. But, um, I mean, what, what I think is very interesting, and it shows that, that um, Romania was one of the harshest uh, totalitarian countries. And it means that they were very isolated. Mm -hmm. It means that for them to be connected to contemporary music scene in Europe or America or anywhere else was very difficult. Mm -hmm. Especially because also um, the Romanians uh, um, constructed large machines to scramble the radio waves from from different parts of Europe and from there was the um, free Europe radio that they could hardly uh, receive and um, so they were isolated and they had to kind of come out from within mm -hmm. with an idea of what what to do mm -hmm. um, which I find really very interesting yeah. that they kind of like taking going back to their roots and bringing it back and then it becomes something that is also very much connected to their education of classical European music mm -hmm. and that I mean, the music is what comes out of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, we do have the opportunity for any questions, if anyone has any. There's a microphone there. Um, do we have any questions? Yep. Uh, if you wait, wait for the microphone, because we're recording. Hi. Um, I was just wondering, coming back to this uh, fact that it's a two-channel projection, if you could talk a little bit about how the work is experienced in space, especially in relation to the sound. When I showed it, I um, I showed it in like on two screens, kind of like an open book, and there were four speakers: the speakers for the for the soldier video were placed uh, above the viewer, and the documentary one were placed in front. Um, yeah, both of them have, s have sound. The sound of the ri one on the right comes only at the end when they come come together. Yeah. Yeah. It's not very different than what you saw. Yeah. Do we have any other questions? Yeah. Yeah. Hi. Um, I might have missed this earlier, but you talked about your motivations for making the first film. What about the second film? Um... This one, the motivation. Yeah. Um, well, like I said, I read the interview with him and with Young Tomitrescu, and I, I found this story about the dream very interesting. Um, maybe you can relate it to me personally, as coming from Israel and knowing exactly the feeling of what it is to fall asleep when you on a guarding shift in the army, and. Uh, also, that my parents came from Romania, so I guess that explains my personal attraction to it. But but mainly, it's the 
the fact that I I read uh, information that brought in a very beautiful way uh, the idea of, of sound and image together, which is usually a, a big motivation for me to to do things. Do we have any other questions? No. Okay. Well, I'm sure you'll all join me in thanking Danny for this evening. Thank you all for coming. Thanks.